Who is that? Uh, the English guy. He's saying oh, about Elton John. Elton John. All right. I'm ready. And here we go. Here's the deal. Okay. I think I got that peeing disorder. Peeing? Where, yeah, where you think you have to go to the bathroom all the time and you don't really have to go. Wait, 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 wait. Time out, time out. We'll, <laughs> we'll come back to it. You told me the last time yeah. we kind of did a show yes. that I wasn't allowed to do any bathroom humor. This isn't bathroom humor. This wait, is no, no, old no, age no, no, humor. No, no, it's about peeing. Well, that, so you can't do it. That doesn't mean I can't do it. Peeing. <laughs> Stop popping your peas. I'm popping my peas. It's very disappointing. You know, it's it's like it's annoying because you kind of go. I kind of enjoy it. And, and, and I just went. I just. It's like <laughs> literally, literally. Well, it, it's enjoyable. Going to the bathroom every. Yeah. Like, no. 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 One hour. That's if you actually urinate. minutes. That's it. That's it. That. Well, I'm not saying urinating. You just go. No. Try to go. Yeah. And yeah. nothing happens because you don't really have to go. I'm not going to use any of this. You know, you know, younger you know, people don't—they don't need to know these you're secrets. You're denigrating my idea now. Alan. No, go ahead, go ahead. I'm telling you, young people don't need to know this. It's like they'll find out. You think eventually. young people listen to us? That's true. This is true. I don't think young, you know, what do they call them? Mill, millipedes? What are they? The mill. The, the, yeah, the, 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 the millennials. The millennials. They—they yeah. uh, they are not listening to us. No worries. Yeah, that's true. But. Okay, but so all right, so, so old people continue. listen to us, but they already know all this. But you know, nobody talks about it really. I will just have really literally mm -hmm. stepped up, mm -hmm. stood up. I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's more. There's more. There's more. And so I sit down, and no, there's no more. All right, all there's right. nothing there. It's a dry well, and I'm like. Well, then why are you telling me, body? It's not, it's not dry. It's not dry. I saw my urologist, um, you know, maybe two months ago. And he gave me a whole lesson. He drew pictures. It was like when you were pregnant. Yeah. And the doctor drew pictures of how, you know, the uterus works and, and yeah. everything. So he drew pictures out. of how your, your right. you, you as, function. As you get older, correct. the connections are kind of cinched together. Yes. And they're really tight, and you've got to kind of let it go. You oh. kind of have to go to a yen place. You have to kind of let oh. it go. So he said, this is what he told me. Okay. It's like, you've got to try to empty the bladder. Yeah. We're really going to put this into Barcore Radio? I okay, all right, all right, wait, wait, wait. You have to empty the bladder. What happens <laughs> is the opening is smaller. I'm holding up my two fingers together, making really small, like... Pincer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm blowing through my fingers now. So, it's because of the radio. I can't show you how to do it. They get so, it. he said, and this is what he told me. Yeah. Dr. Schlangerblonger. I think that would... That was his oh. name, Dr. Schlanger. Oh, good old Dr. Schlangerblonger. Dr. Schlangerblonger. <laughs> but he, he, he said, it's like, okay, you stand up when you're... Or you, in or your sit case, down, you sit yeah, down. sit down. And you... You piss, and it kind yeah. of blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it's like, it's done. Yeah, and you, you think you're you done. You count one, two, three, four. You count to four. And then it'll Try start again. And it'll start again. It's not true. I have to count <laughs> one, two, three, four, 
7, <laughs> 10, 20, okay, okay. 30. Right. 36, it starts again. Okay, 36. Okay. That's right. I That's can do that. Double high. Okay. All right. I'll do that. It'll, it'll, it'll start again. And then after a while, it kind of like relaxes. And you, you go into the Zen place and you imagine you're the sphincters. Right. Like I am the sphincter. I am connected to my sphincter. Yes. I'm there. Release. Release right. the. Right. Let it go. Let it you go. Know, let the, it go. The, or the other thing is to do is don't drink a lot of liquids because, man, that's not oh, good. Oh, but that's not you good. Go you, have to drink you, you have to drink liquids. Yeah. Okay, so now here's the other thing yeah. that's happening to me. The little things are growing on me. <laughs> you know, you're my sex partner. I don't need to know these things. Um, you want to talk, I'm just going to take off the headphones and you talk <laughs> and you edit this whole thing. I don't want to hear about it. I don't think it's a bad thing. You're my shiksa goddess. <laughs> And I don't want to know about the things that are growing on your body. I know, right? It's true. You don't you know, want to share those things. I want our sex to continue. Uh, okay. All right. At its regular rate. It's nothing. It's nothing on tour. It's nothing in a in a in a in, a, in an inopportune spot or anything like okay. that. Okay. What, what's growing, like sweetheart? Well, it's like a calcium thing. A calcium buildup. Oh, like, that. It's right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, there's. I found out there's a name for it. I looked it up. Yeah. And it's kind of like. Becky is pointing towards her hand. On my hand. Her wrist. There's like a bump, and it's white, and it's from yeah. underneath the skin, and it's. I forget what it's called. I just looked it up. Are you done with the um, the pissing and the gray growths on your hand? Yeah, I won't get into everything, but yeah. All right. That's for another show. <laughs> when we get even older. This is Bark Crawl Radio 25, and we're going to be talking about the Soldiers and Sailors Monument on West 89th Street in Riverside Park. We're going to be talking with uh, New York City park officials, some real high-level park officials, and we'll introduce them after we uh, crawl over to Gephardt's, uh, because right now we're at Five Napkins. Yes, we what are. What are you having? Um, so I'm having a Montauk beer. I'm having Grey Goose and Tonic. Right. With and, extra and, lime and you and ordered something glass. besides the hamburger. This is called um, tuna poke. Tuna poke. Because we usually we do the hamburger and french fries. That all fits so. in with our talk about, you know, being older and having sex. Tuna poke. Tuna poke. <laughs> right. You're kind of my tuna poke. And it's delicious. Yeah. Just okay. like sex is. Delicious. It's quite, quite sexy. Okay. So we're going to talk about the Soldier Service Monument, New York City Park officials. And I'm and not talking anymore. I'm just, I'm, uh, shut me up. And when we, when we get back, you're going to hear more from Becky. Tenting tonight on the old campground Give us a song to cheer Our weary hearts a song of home And friends we love so dear When the cornerstone of the Soldiers and Sailors Monument was laid in Riverside Park off West 89th Street on December 16, 1900, the Civil War was fresh in the minds of Americans. On that day, a Civil War veteran held a flag. A cannon fired. Yankee Doodle was sung by children, and General Albert D. Shaw proclaimed that, quote, the monuments we raise to our Union heroes are not memorials of conquest, but signify the nation's appreciation of the victors who saved it in the supreme crisis of its fate. We are all American citizens now. 
New York Governor Teddy Roosevelt turned to the many children in attendance and said, Now, let us, the younger generation, pay to the heroes the homage of trying to emulate their deeds by so shaping the life of this nation that it may be seen that their sacrifices were not in vain. are the hearts that are weary tonight Wishing for the war to cease Many are the hearts Roosevelt then lowered the cornerstone into place and smoothed the first layer of cement to give the Soldiers' and Sailors' Monument a permanent place. Dying tonight, dying tonight Dying on the old campground. Since 1902, the monument has stood at the far end of West 89th Street as a symbol of honored remembrance for those who served this nation's military in its many wars. But this monument is in trouble as its structure has degraded and it is in dire need of major repair. Today on Bar Crawl Radio, we will be talking with journalist and historian Cal Snyder, who has written about New York City war memorials in the book Out of Fire and Valor. Peter Galassino, a retired commander in the U.S. Navy, is the president of the Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Association. Jonathan Kuhn is the director of Art and Antiquities for New York City Parks. John Harold is the Riverside Park Administrator for New York City Parks and Senior Advisor to the Riverside Park Conservancy. Welcome to you all. This is an important conversation. We will be sharing testimony from various military organizations throughout this program, but can we hear now from each one of you uh, why you feel this very, very old Civil War monument, which is kind of decaying, is worth even talking about and is worth spending a lot of money to save. So why, why don't we start, we'll start with you, uh, Jonathan Kuhn. Well, there was a line delivered at the groundbreaking, the cornerstone laying in 1900, where somebody spoke that this monument was not typical of a war memorial and that it wasn't about conquest, it was about preservation of the Union, an issue that, frankly, seems rather current right now. Uh, so it's about higher values of our society, and it also obviously is very specifically a representation symbolically and really in physical form of the sacrifice made by hundreds of thousands of people from New York State uh, in the Civil War on behalf of the Union and the preservation of the Union. Uh, I oversee monuments in our parks. I have a certain special connection to this one when I started. Uh, probably about 600 monuments are in need and 200 major memorials. We're down to a handful. This is one of them, that are in need of restoration. Uh, I'm pleased to say, over many decades of effort by myself, many partner groups, by uh, uh, my predecessor, Joseph Bresden, who sort of started our preservation programs at Parks, and was perhaps he and his wife the first to call attention to the preservation of historic structures in our parks. And so this is it's one of a handful of individual monuments that are landmarked in the city. Uh, all are protected by the existence of the Public Design Commission, the Art Commission, but this monument has additional landmark status. So on many levels, historical, symbolic, uh, uh, physical, functional, uh, it, it deserves this it deserves kind of attention and investment. Right. 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 Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, and Peter Galassino, uh, why? You're, you're, you're a military person. To compliment Jonathan, um, wholeheartedly agree that now not only does it represent um, as originally uh, 
established civil war, but all uh, military deaths, especially poignant after 9-11, where thousands of our uh, uh, men and women have uh, perished or injured in, in battle uh, for, for our nation. We, uh, for years now, since the, um, the Memorial Association um, uh, coordinated the Memorial Day event, um, we get roughly a thousand men and women, uh, many in uniform from the fleet uh, during Fleet Week. We are one of the um, only organizations that specifically memorialize the day uh, for the fallen. And to let this grand uh, tribute to um, the forefathers who have fallen, um, I think it would be a disservice. Thank you. And uh, John Harold? Um, well, you asked about its original purpose and how that's relevant. Um, it's interesting to remember that in 1900, the Civil War was closer mm -hmm. right. than the Vietnam War is to us today. And it was very much a part of the formative experience of, of much of the population. So uh, it, it was very important in their lives to honor uh, those veterans and those who didn't come home. Um, sadly, there have been many, many wars since then, mm. and um, the idea of honoring those who have given uh, their lives for the nation uh, continues, and um, it's a beautiful place to do it, a yep. very, very uh, fitting place to do it. Thank you. Thank you, Harold. And, and Cal Snyder. Two, two takes, um, in addition to the ones that have been mentioned. One is that we have a, a long tradition not only of memorializing uh, those who served and those who fell in war, but we also have a long tradition uh, of commemorating them. Um, and these sites, like the Soldiers and Sailors Memorial, um, are, uh, are critical to uh, providing a backdrop and setting which is appropriate for the commemoration of, uh, of, the, of, of, of wars past. Um, and as was just mentioned by, by Peter, um, you know, connecting them to events of the present time um, so that memory is not a historical idea but it's a living, uh, a living fact uh, that people uh, must embrace and do embrace again and again and again. Um, and that's where the ceremonies every year at the Soldiers and Sailors Memorial come in. That, that's one. Uh, and the other, very briefly, uh, that I was thinking about is that um, we've just been through an episode in the past year um, in New York uh, and across the country where um, monuments uh, of various kinds have come under political attack. And there's been an, a, a new wave of insistence that, that the history of our country, as it's memorialized in artifacts like monuments and memorials, um, conform to a contemporary or immediate point of political uh, opinion. Um, and that what doesn't conform to that opinion should be erased. And, and I, I think this is an absolutely terrible mistake. Um, the only kinds of societies that erase their past to replace it with a different one that they prefer are totalitarian societies. And we should never ever go down that path. Whether we like what these monuments represent, uh, whether we agree with the people who created them or the ideas they expressed, um, we have an obligation to remember uh, our history in its totality and not just the parts of our history that we prefer. Greetings. I am Ambrose Richardson of the Sons of the Revolution in the state of New York.
which was formed in 1876 to honor the services of soldiers and sailors during the American Revolution and to recall and keep alive the memory of their heroism and sacrifice for liberty and independence and for the principles that still guide us today. We have enjoyed the privilege of participating in Memorial Day celebrations at the magnificent Soldiers and Sailors Monument in Riverside Park, honoring the services of American soldiers during all of America's conflicts. The monument, in addition to other monuments dedicated to American soldiers in New York City, in Fort Greene Park and Trinity Churchyard, ably stands for and represents those courageous persons who willingly put their lives at risk for the good of us all. Long live the monument and the memory of the soldiers and sailors it represents. I find whenever I'm there, it's like I, in a way, I'm back in the Civil War because I read the names and I, I know, I, you get the feel of when that monument went up and the Civil War veterans were still around at the time it went up. I, you know, I touch the stone. Um, it's palpable, it's concrete, it's there, it's marble, right? And it's been there for so long. And it's in my neighborhood. It's right here, it's right down the street here from Gephardt's. And it's um, so beautiful. I mean, it's just striking in beauty. I mean, to, to, and uh, simple. to John's yes. and Cal's points, I mean, to John's, there were a thousand members of the Grand Army Republic who fought in the Civil War who were present at the Cornerstone laying. So there was that living connection at the time it was made. And to Cal's point, memorials are meant to transcend their time uh, and connect to the present and keep, and we will continue to reinterpret. Uh, thankfully, I hope. Uh, Actually, in this case, the subject matter is something we can all rally around, the preservation of the Union, the abolition of slavery. Uh, all the, these, are pretty, these are things I think that we still agree with, all of us. Uh, so, uh, so on so many counts, the monument continues to have currency uh, and also represent the time in which it was erected. Why that location? I'm curious about that. Uh, I know there was a first choice at 59th and 5th, and then the second choice was 83rd and Riverside. How did it end up at 89th and Riverside? First, I want to say we don't have original documents relating to the creation of this monument. Uh, it precedes the records of the city of New York in large part. Uh, the design was approved a year before the Art Commission of the city of New York was created. Uh, so in that regard, we have had not had the opportunity to do a deep dive on the specifics, but uh, yes, the original site, as indicated in the Landmarks Commission Report of 1976, was Grand Army Plaza where General Sherman wound up. They then looked for right. another advantageous site. This is true of many park projects, Samuel Tilden further up the drive, Franz Siegel also. Uh, it was a beautiful boulevard. It framed a beautiful park designed by Frederick Olmsted and Calvert Fox. It was at a high vantage point. The river at that time would have come in more closely, closer proximity. Really? Mount Tom was rejected, as I understand it, because there were some new apartment buildings who, who, who would have overshadowed the monument. And where is that? Uh, at just a little south of there in 83rd, 83rd Street was a site that was considered today Edgar Allan Poe Street, I mm -hmm. think, uh, a small monument to a guy named Cyrus Clark in the park uh, at that location. But... Uh, this is one of the key vantage points you can see across the river, you can see up and down the river. Uh, it's a place where people can muster, where they can promenade. and po You have to think the bicycling craze too, uh, John might wish to comment on this, uh, uh, was, took hold uh, in the 1890s and B Riverside Boulevard or Drive was one of the great points, uh, hence also the creation of Grant's Tomb up the way and you had the tavern further up. Uh, 
the Claremont Inn that was a, until the 1930s a hot spot uh, uh, for people who wanted to dine out in the countryside. So, you know, although it was on the edge, it was also very central to the life of New York and still is. Uh, maybe others want to speak to that. Um, well, it's, if you were to look at across the river at Manhattan, you would realize that it's one of the highest promontory, promontories uh, on Manhattan. And um, uh, as, as John was saying, uh, when the park was built, there, weren't, there wasn't the tree cover that there is now. So the river looked like it was closer. Well, you could see it. And in yeah. fact, what, what Olmsted's genius in laying out Riverside Drive is the way it curves and rises and falls. And you don't see it now because of the trees, but you had this constantly changing view of the river. Uh, it was right there, and, and this was one of the highest points along the river that, where they put the mine. So, yeah, the, this majestic place combined with the majestic object symbolizing our culture and our, our, our civic in, in values. That high point at, uh, on, at, right. on the hill I mean, there. Yeah. There's a lot of symbolism here. It's like the Acropolis right. in, you know, in Athens. You, you pick a point which can be seen, and that is of respect and stature, literally and figuratively. Right. My name is Charles Bleach. I'm the president of the New York Council Navy League. My military services, I retired as a colonel in the United States Marine Corps both, with both active and reserve time, serving during the Vietnam War. I regard the Soldiers and Sailors Monument as a very important tribute to those who served in our military over many, many years. And I would hope that our, our city and organizations that support it would be able to keep it up to meet the standards that they set themselves for it. And it's always a pleasure on Memorial Day to go there and represent the Navy League, along with many senior military officers and organizations, by placing a wreath at the foot of the monument. In the documents about Grant's tomb, uh, the, the history of, of the creation of Grant's tomb, one of the reasons uh, that, that, that they that the uh, the Duncan, who was the architect, set the the top of the of the monument as high as he did, and it also sits at a very high a high point, um, was so that it could actually be seen from a carriage uh, approaching from the south at 89th Street, where you crest up at 89th Street. There were no trees, and you could then see the light at the top of, of Grant's tomb from there. Uh, and they had measured, they had a, you know, they created diagrams showing how this would work, and it actually was true until all the trees came in. And you look at vintage postcards of that era, too. The, yeah. the soldiers and sailors more on Grant's tomb are the things that are most often pictorialized on those vintage postcards, sent by the thousands, tens of thousands, oh. to the tourists visiting New York. It's, it's what you did. You would go visit these monuments. Uh, so, yeah, you, and then you'd, walk, you'd, you'd like, par, uh, promenade up the... <laughs> up Riverside Drive and, mm -hmm. and, and see Grant's tomb. And then you said the, the right. tavern, which was right. further up, right? right? Combine culture and exercise. <laughs> so I understand there was a Mrs. Elizabeth S. Clark who tried to restrain the commission from erecting the monument in 1900. It was unsuccessful, obviously. But are there any uh, people or groups trying to block this restoration at this point? Oh, absolutely not. I think there's 100% support for... Uh, restoring this from our public officials, from the citizens who are local, and from a broader preservation community. So tell us about the design. Who, who, was, who was responsible and uh, 
I know there's an inside part. Oh, it's it's beautiful. I would love to hear it's about beautiful that. inside. One of the um, uh, one of the reasons it's so important to restore it is that right now the people of New York who own it can't even experience this this beautiful sanctuary inside of it. Uh, it's a rotunda. Uh, there's no staircase. It's simply a uh, hundred feet up to the up to I the. I always thought there was a staircase. No, you go in and it's this marble mosaic floor. Um, about fifty feet up, uh, there are uh, Prawn, palm, palm fronds mm-hmm. palm in yeah. mosaics, and then way way up at the top is um, uh, Guastavino uh, dome that's polished, almost looks like mother of pearl when you look up at it. Uh, and uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful... And there's place. supposed to be some statuary niche, niches in it? We there don't never, know. There never were any, yeah. to our knowledge, any commission. The, the, basically, you had, as is always the scenario or with virtually all of our public monuments in New York City, a committee would form to, to create the memorial. Uh, the, this particular committee consisted, I think, of the mayor, <laughs> the city controller, mm-hmm. uh, 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 the head of the Grand Army of the Republic at the time. They, they are the same people who originally selected the Grand Army Plaza location associated with name and other things, but eventually wound up here. They held an architectural competition. There were seven major architectural firms who were offered the opportunity to bid, just like other contemporary projects of our time. Uh, the eventual selection architectural firm was Stoughton and Stoughton, as well as an additional a gentleman named Paul E. Dubois. Uh, those from the Upper West Side will know his work probably better as all the ornament and design on the exterior of the Ansonia. Uh, Stoughton and Stoughton did other public works. I think they also did work almost at the same time on the cupola of Brooklyn's Borough Hall. And so they created a piece that was inspired by the Greek Karajic Temple of Lysistratus. It's got lavish ornament. It relates to the Beaux-Arts tradition of that time, the City Beautiful movement. What was the City Beautiful? I know I've I've seen a quote that you referred to that. Well, this is, I think, a term applied after the fact, but it refers to uh, uh, interested uh, organizations and individuals in the late 1890s to early 20th century uh, in applying uh, principles, highest standards of art and architecture to our civic and public spaces. Uh, Organizations such as the Municipal Art Society, the National Academy of Design, the National Sculpture Society all came into being at this time. And Municipal Art Society to this day carries on this uh, this goal and mission of, of creating public spaces and ornament and monuments that respect the citizens uh, and give them equal uh, attention as would be applied to a lavish private mansion that might have existed on Riverside Drive. It connects art with social conscience. Yeah. We're connected to our society through the art that we see all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I understand the marble's from Vermont. Yes, it is. Is that uh, true? And that there was, within five years of its being um, unveiled, um, there was some problems, and they had to raise money to have some repair done. Is there a, a difficult flaw in the design and the building of it that can be overcome? Um, or not? The, the structure... the. The monument and building, whatever we wish to call it, are structurally sound. Indeed, the recent study, a very detailed architectural preservation study by a team of engineers and preservation, has produced very good data. Uh, we're pleased to report that it would survive a 
seismic uh, activity, ah. uh, 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 an earthquake. That's a relief. Uh, that's really good to uh, learn. On the other hand, it's made of a very fragile and porous material, marble. Mm. Marble, since the Industrial Revolution started pumping carbon into the air and it came down in the form of acid rain, it's caused the dissolution of sedimentary rock, marble and limestone. And so... Greek temples are suffering from that. Correct. Around the time that this monument was built, put up, uh, Florence, Italy was probably taking David and putting him inside the Bargello Museum and putting a replica outdoors because of the observation at that time of the effects of industrialization and, and, and factory uh, So no emissions. plans to put a dome over the... No, no. Uh, thankfully, our, I hope our air is getting cleaner, uh, but be that as it may, marble needs more attention than, let's say, granite, which is the material used for Grant's tomb, uh, which is an igneous rock, not to get too technical. But uh, I don't think the design is flawed, but any structure of that size, magnitude, uh, complexity requires uh, uh, upkeep. Uh, it's, we can at the lower levels do upkeep at the, to some degree uh, on a regular basis, but uh, once a generation, and in this case it's been more than a generation since this last saw attention, the city invested in I think 70s. the 1960s. No, 1960 to 62. A million. A little over a million, uh, which would be the equivalent today of a little over $10 million in, in 2018 dollars. So uh, that was 60 years ago. <laughs> so we do have uh, fixes for it. Yes, there's a proposed uh, detailed analysis that was paid for uh, by a special study commissioned by the city's Office of Management and Budget. When was that? Uh, it was completed in early 2017. Uh, and it, it itemized rather uh, carefully. It also addressed other issues, the retaining walls, the terraces, the ramps. John, would you like to speak to some of this also? Um, yes, it looked at the entire structure, as John says. And um, just to reiterate what, what John said, it's um, structurally sound. It's not going to fall down. But the stonework that covers it um, is suffering from the mortar that holds it together has all disintegrated from water penetrating. Um, so if it does, if this, if the mortar is disintegrated, what's holding it together? Gravity. Wow. Yeah. What about the marble? Will you replace that marble, or will you continue to use marble? Well, the the, the study did not pr- include a complete um, architectural plan to restore it. It identified the things that needed to be done. Um, uh, I suppose there could be some. Uh, some replacement, if if necessary, but but it's uh, uh, I don't I don't think it's a question. The short answer is you, yes. You would preserve the marble. You can have what are known as Dutchmen, which are a replacement of missing components, or or or, uh, or sometimes whole stones and similar marble. When we did the uh, restoration of the Washington Square Arch in uh, 2003 uh well, we identified. Uh, um, about 139 locations in which we had to do what are called Dutchman repairs, where you match the profile of the uh, missing component uh, uh, and replace it in identical or equivalent stone. Uh, and then they're pinned in and they're epoxied in and they can last 50, 60 years again. Uh, this happened in 1960, 62. There were column capitals that were replaced. Indeed, we still have the model for one of the capitals from that project in storage at the Parks Department that was used as a as a uh, kind of reference point for carving replacements. They did a lot of 
the roof has to be sealed and those kind of structural things. And yeah, that was a, my next question. Will they do something to keep the moisture out? If that's yes, that would yeah. be one of the principal things. That's addressed mm -hmm. through both the uh, roof membrane as well as repointing all the masonry. It's many thousands and thousands of linear feet of masonry. So, uh, and, and it's up high, so you have to scaffold. So all these costs start to... Uh, you know, are, are quite uh, uh, impressive, shall we say. And isn't it difficult to get the Masons to do this type of work? Uh, the talent? Well, no, there, there are no. people out there who do this work. Yeah. Uh, yes. The yeah. public library has been done in recent years, the Metropolitan yeah. Museum facade. These are some local projects I can think of that I think the public library, they invest about 44 million, if memory serves me, certainly many tens of millions into the restoration of the facade. Uh, that's also marble. Uh, it's along Fifth Avenue. It's good to know that, in fact, there is ways of, of fixing it, because when I was doing my studies, it seemed like it was just degrading and, and that it was uh, in terrible, terrible shape. Well, but, but you're saying it's not. Well, it isn't really. It's yeah, in an it, extended, it, severe shape, but it, it's, it's you're fixable. never going to make it, it look new. As it was in 1960. And a lot of the repairs, the Dutchman and, and mm -hmm. patches that were done in 1960 were intended to survive for 50 or 60 years, well, here we are. Here we are, yeah. Here we are. Uh, and, and it could be done again. There are methods also of, uh, you can apply chemicals, once you've done all those other repairs and the repointing and the replacing of the roof membrane and the shoring up of the retaining, historic retaining walls and the replacement of the terraces, you can also apply chemicals, which uh, there's a term, chemical consolidation, um, which permeates the marble and it inhibits some moisture uh, penetration. It has other effects. It, it has to be renewed from time to time on 15-year cycles quite often, but all those things, it strengthens the uh, stone, not at a molecular level, but at a granular level. Uh, the field of conservation is always uh, evolving, and there's quite a number of techniques that have been invented. Indeed, the survey used some interesting techniques that are not traditional. Uh, on the exterior, when they surveyed the monument, these guys called Vertical Axis came in. They're kind of like that free solo movie. Uh, it combines guys who have mountaineering experience with uh, conservation experience, and they rappelled down the sides of the monument from a hook on the top, and they mapped every stone uh, and the condition of every stone. When was this were, done? I'm this sorry, I didn't done, see them uh, do that. 2016. Fall of 2016. Uh, that would have been great to see that. And, and the other thing we did was, on the inside, rather than scaffolding, the... Uh, they sent up a drone up the interior so that we could get very good pictures from the interior the, at the highest points, which you can't really see. And so we got some good photography and documentation. That Will way. we ever be able to get into the interior? That was going to be my last question, yeah. Well, it, we can open it, yes. But will we be able? Will that? But it's dangerous at this at this point. Well, I give people hard hats when we do. Yeah. Uh, but after yeah. it's re after it's oh, renovated, oh, yes. will we be able we, to go in? Love to have it open. That would be great. Uh, and it hasn't been open in decades. Except on uh, Open House New York and the very special occasions like Memorial Day. Memorial Day. We used, day we we used to open it, it on Memorial Day. Right. Yeah, but, but not, not recently. Right not, not recently. recently yeah. Oh, right. Well, within a few years. Yeah. 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 I mean, you could just step inside and. And look up. I have yearned to look inside because the window they have is a little high. I'm tall. <laughs> and it's like I kind of jump up and kind of right. pull up and try right. to look through it because it's always fascinating me because we've been living in this neighborhood, neighborhood forever. Um, I'd, I'd like to get to the question eventually on how this is going to get done. But before we do that, I'd like to turn to Peter Galisano and talk about the Memorial Day um, uh, commemorations. Uh, you're involved with that as the head of the uh, Social Sailors Monument Association. How did you get into that association? How did you become president? Actually, about 12 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, 
Uh, Upper West Side gentleman, John Shaw, World War II veteran. Um, I, I think, Cal, were you part of the uh, first class? Uh, showed up at the monument on Memorial Day with just a gaggle. Seven. Seven people just to present a wreath on Memorial Day just because they all uh, served in uniform and felt that they wanted to note this day. Um, and when was this? Oh, boy. Fifteen years right. ago, maybe. Right. Boy, it's changed. Yep. Yes. yes. Yeah. And, and then it really took hold. George, through his initiative, um, uh, solicited Fleet Week support and others in the neighborhood. And uh, a couple points I want to make. Uh, New Yorkers, by and large, doesn't have a, a true connection with uh, military members. And during Fleet Week, uh, you know, when you have especially 18, 19-year-old uh, men and women from the fleet that come up, roughly a couple thousand, and um, um, through Fleet Week support, we get about a, a, a several hundred that comes to our event. It's a way that New Yorkers connect, and uh, especially after 9-11, I think there has been a great appreciation for young men and women who sacrifice so much, even though, uh, you know, um, politics and everything else could be different. Um, but, um, uh, you know, the event was created, and uh, we, we usually get uh, you know, men and women from the fleet, a flag officer, uh, meaning a general or admiral to speak. Um, in fact, for several years, uh, the Secretary of the Navy under Obama was Ray Mabus. And I believe I he came up here purposely to speak at our event. A, because we were one of the only events during Fleet Week that was 100% supported the cause of uh, Memorial Day to pay homage to the, to the men and women who uh, perished. Um, as well as I believe his uh, daughter at the time was a Columbia uh, student. But uh, a, a quick antidote, uh, at the event uh, on the dais, um, he realized uh, in our program was uh, a mention of the creation of the monument for Civil War um, uh, you know, uh, uh, casualties. Well, Ray Mavis was the former governor of the state of Mississippi. <laughs> obviously, obviously on the opposite end of that. And he chuckled and he laughed and, uh, you know, you know, what the monument became, you know, a monument for everybody who uh, served their country, no matter what side of the fence uh, or what side of the Civil War you were on. So. My name is Mike Munoz. I'm an operations and logistics officer for the New York City Veterans Alliance. I'm a 14-year Army veteran, having served both on active duty and reserves. I, uh, I deployed twice with the 101st Airborne Division. Currently, I work for this great nonprofit that advances veterans as civic leaders in New York City and beyond. Well, first I want to say, um, as a kid, I would visit the Soldiers and Sailors Monument while visiting family who live nearby. And as a veteran, the monument has much more meaning to me. I know that to forget past generations of veterans is to forget the present one. The Soldiers and Sailors Monument reminds us to never forget our fallen brothers and sisters, not only from the Civil War, but from every single American conflict. New York is known as a proud city, but too often the accomplishments of our veterans and those who paid the price to protect our freedoms are forgotten. New York City should be proud of our forts and monuments. By allowing the monument to stay in such a state, the city is failing to not only educate current and future generations about our history, but is demonstrating that veterans do not mean enough to the city. 
New York needs to show pride and fully fund the restoration. And thank you. I've just, I've just got to say, uh, because I go to the memorial services, and it's so wonderful to see all the services out there and all the wonderful uniforms and the, the clean-cut young men and women who are out there. And it's so, you get so proud, you know, about, about our, our, our country. And, and yeah, it's like we've gone through a lot of bad stuff. Um, and that memorial kind of represents all the bad stuff, but all the good stuff, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, we have, over the course of the year, at all of our memorials, hundreds of ceremonies, and we rely on groups like the one that Peter is heading up uh, uh, to reinvigorate our sites, to bring meaning. It's about bringing meaning and reminding us of the meaning. Uh, and, and, right, it's, it's deeply moving when you go to these ceremonies, uh, and, and often very uplifting. Right. Uh, I really, um, it harkens to me the, uh, what uh, I think you were saying, Jonathan, about the, uh, one of the original speakers saying that this is not a monument for conquerors, but a monument of, of the deeds that allowed our country to be created and to be saved. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yep. Which is, you know, very powerful. Right, it gets at the core of who we are as a people. Right. Cal, I wonder if you can put a, a kind of an historical thing on Memorial Day uh, and how it was celebrated and... Well, you know, the, that's um, like almost everything in our history, it's, uh, it's much disputed. Memorial Day uh, began immediately uh, or possibly even during the Civil War um, and, uh, and was uh, initiated uh, according to what two accounts that, uh, but, uh, that, that have been uh, researched. Uh, by uh, small numbers, primarily of women, uh, uh, in various places, uh, uh, who took it upon themselves to lay flowers um, uh, and possibly other memorabilia uh, at the graves of soldiers, not necessarily ones they knew, but ones who had been buried uh, near where they lived. Um, this was largely in the South or along the Mason-Dixon line. Um, some say it initiated uh, somewhere in the Mississippi Valley, others think that it was in the East, but very likely it was a spontaneous act that took place in, uh, in several locations. Uh, and uh, subsequently it was picked up uh, by the Grand Army of the Republic, um, which was the primary uh, veterans organization of its time, and the precursor of the American Legion, extremely active. There were scores of, of uh, chapters of the Grand Army of the Republic in, in Brooklyn alone. Um, and uh, of course there were millions of veterans. What happened gradually is that the, the Grand Army of the Republic had a rather militant view of the, uh, of, of the memory of the war because it was composed entirely of, of Union veterans. Um, and feelings after the war, of course, as we know, were very deep and, and very, uh, very painful. Uh, so there was a lot of waving of the bloody shirt um, in subsequent years uh, about the, uh, the martyrdom of the Union veterans and so forth. And uh, it put a different spin on Memorial Day for, for, for many, many years. But the tradition of bringing flowers to the graves and, and then later to the, to the national cemeteries and local cemeteries where veterans were, were buried, uh, was a, became a continuing uh, symbol of, mm -hmm. of, of memory for, for Memorial Day. 
uh, we of course call it Memorial Day. It was initially known as Decoration Day. Decoration Day. Uh, for the decorating of the graves. Of the graves, right. Uh, and that tradition uh, and the name of uh, was uh, in use through World War One, uh, and only later became consolidated as, as, as Memorial Day. And if you um, go to the uh, Soldier Sellers Monument after the day after Memorial Day, it's just bestooned with flowers yes. and with wreaths and, uh, and and they're there for weeks uh, I guess they're just left there and uh, eventually the park yes. how, how, what is the decision on leaving those flowers there? Um, thank you for asking uh, John. Um, <laughs> when they start to look tired we take them down because okay. uh, we don't it, it would be disrespectful I, I, right. I, I get it, do people ever come and like take the flowers or it's pretty much left there? It, it is. It's kind of like it's understood. You don't take those flowers. Yeah, they're there for another reason. They're memorial wreaths. Yeah, <laughs> wind. Wind is a far bigger problem. <laughs> yeah, but this respect of of what was done on Memorial Day, it's like the community respects it, and they they leave it there. Mm-hmm. You know, the bring the bringing of these of, of flowers or, or wreaths uh, and and other symbols of memory uh, uh, is a, is worldwide. It, it's not unique to us and. Um, certainly in Europe, um, which has known um, war on a great deal greater scale than, than we ever have, um, you know the the uh, the World War One memory in particular is is uh, is and this being the centennial of the of, of the war um, is really in full cry. And if you if you go to Europe and you and, uh, and you see that the World War One memorials along the, in the battlefields of France and Belgium are festooned with uh, with uh, wreaths, often they're poppy wreaths. Most of the visitors being being uh, from the British uh, Empire, and 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 they leave them there for a long long period of time. You come a year later and they're still there. Mm. Um, they don't wither away in the, in the same sense that a flower wreath would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I wonder what's going to happen to these Memorial Day services in years to come. Will, will they continue? I, I teach young college students, and I don't necessarily see them come to the services. Of course, the, 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 the military people are there. Um, is there a future for Memorial Day? John, yes. Absolutely. Um, I'm always uh, struck by um, the turnout at this event. As Peter said, maybe we get 100 service members. That means we have 900 people from the community who have just turned out. This is what they want to do on Memorial Day. Are there children that come and yes. you know sing? And yep. It's a well-attended event. You know, yeah. um, also I might add that um, the men and women for the fleet after we break um, are available. And I, I've seen so many um, people from the neighborhood or just visitors uh, to the event uh, engage with the service members. And many of the young men and women uh, are enlisted, 18, 19, 20 years old, um, and they're just talking with them, thanking them for their services. And um, also one young uh, child, I remember going up to, um, this was I think after the event happened, just went up to where all the flowers were at the very top of the dais and uh, saluted. Um, oh my God. Like J.F. Kennedy did uh, with his father. Um, 
back in 63. And um, someone took a, uh, a photo of that, and it was just so uh, touching to see um, just a young, young child acknowledging, if you will, the event that just happened. Um, but Children I, feel what's going on. They, I, I think they, it will continue. Because yeah. no matter if we are um, the liberal uh, Upper West Side or New York City, I think, uh, especially after Vietnam, uh, the men and women, uh, the citizens, are just grateful for anybody who uh, does don the uniform. And, um, you know, you, you take politics out of that, that uh, these people have um, committed so much, and they respect that, again, no, no, no matter the politics. Thank you so much for sharing all that. I mean, this is my monument. This is our monument. This is... I, I want to see my grandchild play around this monument on the little cannon embedded in the sand, right, which my children played on. It's, it, it, it's, it's so much a part. But the question is, you know, is it going to get fixed? Where's uh, the money and coming I'm not sure from? who's going to best answer this. Where's the money? How much is it going to cost? What needs to be done? When is it going to be done? There's a lot of those kind I'll of questions. I'll let John Harold weigh in first, and then I'll, I'll, I'll add uh, after that. So the, the conservation study came up with an engineer's estimate. Um, which, depending on the market, is or is not relevant to what actually gets bid. Of course. Um, but using that as a reference, uh, we are working with elected officials first um, and seeking private support to get it done either the monument first and then the plazas, or the preference would be to do the whole thing at once for, for a number of reasons. Mobilization costs would be less. You'd have the same level. You'd have the same firm doing the whole thing in terms of quality. Um, so it's it is a big lift. It's not uh, it's not an unheard of lift for for the city government or the state government right. to, to pay I, for something like as that. As I mentioned earlier, the public library reconstruction was an analogous, even greater cost. The total cost estimated was about twenty nine million dollars. The monument itself was about between 10 and 11 million dollars. This is doable. Uh, the um, that includes, you know, nearly two acres of uh, plazas, uh, a giant embankment, uh, uh, ADA compliance, uh, and so on. Uh, you know, beyond, above, and beyond uh, the monument itself. You would want to do it all at once, preferably. You could do it in phases. It's going to require city, state, and federal support, I would say, though. All right, and it's I, going to be handled as a capital project of the city of New York. Can I play? We, we, we just met with Linda Rosenthal, and she had something to say about this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it now. Well, I've been, I've been trying, and I'm going to make another effort um, next year to get some funding for it. Because, Good. Oh, wonderful. Uh, I mean, not just because it's my own personal favorite, but because it, it's so important, mm -hmm. and it really should not be in such disrepair. But it's a, it's a city monument, so it's fiscally the city should be putting a lot more money into mm -hmm. um, fixing it and maintaining it. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I'm going to try to see if there are state funds available. Maybe, Great. Maybe even federal funds. Federal funds. Are there federal we, funds out there? We believe that there are. We also believe that it's just given the magnitude of the monument, the magnitude of its needs, and the fact that it represents all of us, that it's of the type that should qualify for also federal funding. As a matter of the his, history of this monument, it goes back to 1869, the original idea. And the idea was cre uh, uh, implemented through the Board of Commissioners of 
Central Park, which was a state-appointed board. They went out of business in the same year that they made the first request for funds to build this monument. The project then resumed in 1893, 34 years later, uh, uh, and was shepherded through the system. And it clearly had some uh, 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 support from the state of New York in addition to the city of New York at its point of origination. Uh, I think it, we have many project, public works projects like the High Bridge or uh, reservoir reconstruction that involves city, state, and federal funding. Uh, I, I think this is one of those instances, especially given the, uh, the significant and almost unique quality of the situation that uh, this is deserving of all three methods of support. One, so start, one started, how long would it take? Uh, about uh, two, two to three years? Yeah, three, depending on, again, how it was staged. Um, I would say three, maybe four. But and you're in fundraising mode now, so yes. it's, it may be a while before that, that three years begins. Oh, absolutely. Right? And the budgetary projections took into account uh, uh, that, that lag time, the, the design phases and procurement phases. I do want to say one thing that if, the listeners, if your listeners go to the Parks Department website, uh, we have actually posted a PDF of the report with the costs. Uh, so anybody, this is open government transparent government. You can read this in detail, and if you know somebody wants to give us $5 million to get it going, so much the better. Or, or 30. Or 30. Okay, I have yeah. some with me. It's yeah, yeah. In case of their no, but club. maybe somebody who's listening. Well, you can see uh, this in greater detail. Yeah. Picture, pictures break out uh, uh, everything from the uh, structural analysis to the landscaping, and, and that's available to the public now. Go to the Parks Department website, type in Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Riverside Park, and you'll see the PDF at the bottom. Besides, besides giving money, is there anything else uh, the public can do um, to raise awareness of this or to write their congressman or assembly member? What, what, what can we do at our level? Well, exactly that, because uh, like anything else, a playground, a school, a firehouse, um, the public has to express its its priorities and its preferences, uh, and and to express what is important to them, uh, to the elected officials, um, so that so that they're able to make the right decision. Any any doubt that there that it won't be uh, renovated? Any doubt? No, I don't see that happening. Thank you. But we do need. Carol. It takes a village, and we do need that support. We need that advocacy from a broad constituency, not just the military veterans, not just. The locals, uh, we need people, preservationists, and anybody who cares about these things uh, to, to weigh in and, 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 and make their voices known to their elected officials. Well, you got it from Bar Crawl Radio. Thank you, Cal Snyder, uh, Jonathan Kuhn, uh, John Harold, Peter Galassino, uh, for, for participating in this conversation. The Soldiers and Sailors Monument is important to our neighborhood and our family. We have picnicked in its shadows, watched Shakespeare performed by the Hudson Warehouse, used it for exercise and a place for reflection to read a book, to enjoy the beauty of the Hudson Estuary, and to remember those who fought and died in our military. It has been part of the lives of Upper West Siders for many decades, and we sincerely hope that those in power and those with the funds and knowledge to do so will find a way so that this treasure will be ours far into the future. And again, thank you, gentlemen. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next on Bar Crawl Radio... Becky and I will be interviewing DJ King Assassin, 
otherwise known as Craig Venegas Alvarado. He engineered hundreds of hip-hop titles and hung with Tupac Shakur. He was awarded the DJ of the Year in the West Coast Hip Hop Awards several times, and he'll be talking with us about his push to end high school bullying. Please subscribe to Bar Crawl Radio at iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, and leave us a comment about our programming, and please give us a five-star review. You can also listen to BCR every weekday at 5 p.m. on Upper West Side Radio. That's www.uwsradio.nyc. That was an important conversation. I don't. I don't. I really hope people listen to it. Station. Yeah. And I think uh, it's. I think it's going to happen. Yeah. Hope it happens in our lifetime. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I know it will. It will. It Doesn't will. seem like a lot of money. Okay. Barcore Radio, and we're only off. to us, honey. <laughs>